Another rebound in a crowd by the Brock Ness Monster. Ooh, that would be Pedro. Ooh. Jim Bob Foley, holy moly. How about the Tasmanian Slovenian with the stop, drop, and pop? Tiffany Hop with the King Harold Barbershop. You're listening to the King's Herald Show, a bi-weekly NBA podcast that covers all the ups and downs, ins and outs of your one and only Sacramento Kings. As always, I'm your host, Will Griffith, and with me today, writer for the King's Herald and my co-host, Tony Zipteris. Tony, how's it going on this Sunday morning? Will, it's going well. Uh, always a pleasure to spend an hour with you and Jerry every other weekend. We've got seven Kings games left in our second year together doing this podcast, so it's crazy how, how time flies. But seven games left of this. Uh, let's talk about it. Yeah, he's a, he's a former Sacramento Kings head coach, GM, and color analyst, the general manager of a WNBA champion, Indiana Basketball Hall of Famer, the troop writer, French Lick himself, Jerry Reynolds. Jerry, how's it going this morning? Well, just very good. Happy to be a part of the Griffith and the Zip Terrace team. And so uh, we'll get going. <laughs> I think I think by law, we have to put it as the Reynolds Zip Terrace Griffith team, for sure. I think your name has to go first on that one, Jerry. <laughs> well, whatever. <laughs> Uh, so the season is winding down to a close. We're exactly two weeks at the time of this recording from being done with the season. This will be the last podcast we do inside the regular season for the for the NBA. Um, the Kings are six in the lottery standings with Portland a half game behind them and Indiana two games up. Since we last spoke, the Sacramento Kings have gone three and four. And um, we uh, two of those games that got featured were uh, um, a game uh, against Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald and the Pacers. And then last night, a, a last bit of comeback to beat the Orlando Magic in, uh, in overtime. So, okay, um, first I want to ask you guys generally your thoughts on the last two weeks of Kings basketball. Are you surprised by uh, the fight of this team that, that, that they've shown of late with uh, some of these, you know, like an overtime loss to the Suns and um, uh, beating the Bulls up, um, even, even at times with Fox and Sabonis injured? Well, I, I, I can't say I am. I, I think it's a credit to Coach Gentry uh, and the players because, uh, but I mean, I've always said that the teams that uh, want to tank for that, uh, it's never the players or the coach. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's always the front officer yeah. that basically, uh, in effect, encourages people not to be allowed to play for various reasons, you know, bogus kind of things. But uh, the players that get to play know they're and certainly are aware that they're individual contractors and, and not only playing for the team, but playing for the league and their own uh, future. So uh, I don't think you ever have a trouble uh, motivating guys on that basis. Yeah, it's been a pretty good run for this era of the Kings. You've also got a lot of players that are hungry and, and playing for their opportunity next year. Uh, Davion Mitchell stepping into the starting lineup um, has been very good. Trey Lyles, you know, a guy who's kind of playing for his, um, team option for next year. He's been solid in the starting lineup. So it's not surprising when you see these players that have been waiting for an opportunity to prove that they belong um, really show that fight towards the end of the season. My only concern, because I am an eternal warrior, I guess, when it comes to this <laughs> team is do we, do we believe too much of the end of the season hype? Like they did last year where I think they went something like nine and five in their last uh, 14 games. And they ended up bringing a lot of those players back. They have Mo Harkless, another contract and, uh, Monty McNair even cited their end of season run for one of the reasons why they brought Luke Walton back because he he liked the fight they showed. So if they can avoid, uh, I guess, believing too much, you know, heading into next year that they've done enough tinkering, um, which I, I don't think that'll be the case, but that's sort of my one 
concern, if you can call it that, by winning some of these games is maybe they they get a little bit too confident in what they have and they don't finish the job that they started when they went and traded for Sabonis in the at the trade deadline. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic point, Tony. I, I'm, I'm a little nervous about that as well. Also, as an eternal pessimist, it's one of those things that's like, oh, great, they're going to read into this a little bit. Trey, <laughs> Trey Lyles is going to get $10 million a year. He's going to get a Rashawn Holmes contract, and we're going to bring everybody back, and we're going to get some – some mid head coach that it's decent, but not who we wanted and not in the first couple of tiers of what the fans wanted. And then we're going to run off 35 wins next year and it'll be a, a success because we got to the 11th seed. And so, uh, no, I thought that was a, a good point because uh, that's terrifying for, 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 for Monty McNair in a, in a very, very, very important off season to have the Kings start, uh, start playing really well right there at the end of the season. <laughs> Um, one thing I wanted to bring up about uh, this this last couple of weeks is the play of Davion Mitchell. Jerry, would you would you start us off by talking about what you've seen out of Davion since kind of moving into a starter's role? Well, I, yeah, I'm <clears throat> really, really have been impressed with Davion, and and you know, and I'm like you all, I, I understand that you don't want to put too much into uh, uh, the end of season kind of things, but I do think in Davion's case, you can put quite a bit into this because uh, he is uh, showing you. And that's something we talked about. I think I mentioned on several occasions, I, I really believe he's a guy that the more he plays, the better he plays. I mean, his game translates uh, to minutes because he's a high energy effort, tough minded young guy. And uh, it's his game is never going to look good in five minute spurts, yeah. uh, you know, uh, play five minutes here, five minutes there and, and all that. I mean, and certainly, especially on the offensive side, that, that's where the difference has been. Uh, you know, you see him playing with a lot of confidence on offense and uh, the, you know, the defensive thing is always there. Uh, he's going to impact the game anytime he's in the, in the game on defense. But uh, uh, to me, what he's proven, is that he was a terrific pick uh, where he was picked. If, if you're Monty McNair, you did a good job. Uh, you got a really good player. Uh, can he be a starter in the NBA? I don't think you know that yet, but I think there's reason to believe that he could. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and certainly, uh, you know, people say, well, can he play with Fox? Of course he can play with Fox. Uh, uh, can he, could he be a 40, 35, 40 minute starter with Fox? I don't know about that, but I will say this. People that are worried about his size, don't worry about it defensively because he can guard most guards six, five and under. Uh, he has the advantage on them for 91 feet of the floor. Yeah. The only place he doesn't is the last three feet. And that's also the exact place you can get double team help the easiest. So, uh, uh, so, so in my opinion, damn right. You could play those two guys together and, uh, certainly both would have to, uh, probably, uh, sacrifice some of their individuality, which would be a good thing on both ends, quite honestly. So, uh, anyway, uh, it, there's no, nothing to, no reason to not be impressed with this kid. He's, uh, he's got the heart of a champion. I really believe that. Tony, what have you seen out of Davion Mitchell lately? Yeah, I pulled the numbers on Davion Mitchell as a starter this season. So this goes a little bit beyond this stretch that we're watching right now, which is where he's been the best. You know, he's been the best most recently. But even if you break it out to all of his starts this season, he's got 12 games as a starter and he's averaging 18 and a half points, two rebounds, five and a half assists. Most importantly, he's shooting 46% from the field 
and 36% from three. So he's doing it efficiently as well. It's not just the counting numbers are going up because his minutes are going up. Um, so he's he's been good as a starter. The sample size is not huge. It's only 12 games. But hey, if you, if you pass every test, then that's all I'm going to really judge you on. I mean, he's been good as a starter. And he's been very good recently, um, basically running the entire show, not just as a starter. He's the lead guard and he's the offensive engine, especially with Sabonis out. Um, so it's been super encouraging because the defense is always there. The question coming into the draft was his offense. You know, could he shoot in the NBA consistently? We can't make that call yet. But when a player only uh, only makes himself look good with the bigger opportunities he gets, then you have to be excited and optimistic about uh, his future here. So it's been a uh, obviously a very good run for Davion Mitchell. One thing I'm interested in hearing your guys' opinion on is only because uh, us talking about the play of Davion Mitchell brings us up a little bit for me. Do you feel like uh, Fox and Sabonis should play the rest of the season? With the way Davion's been playing, do you feel like this would be an okay time where Fox has kind of got a bum hand, just sit these last two weeks, you know, get rested? I mean, obviously, they're not playing for anything. Is there is there a world, Jerry and Tony, where you could see Sabonis, whose who's knees probably, probably was banged hard enough where he could just sit the rest of the season? where you just get time for Davion to get those reps in as a starter, get comfortable in that starting role and, and play guys like Nemius Keita or some of these guys like Damian Jones that are, that are, you know, hungry for minutes and, and, and just start over next season with the, with, uh, with Fox and Sabonis. Well, I, I know I'd probably, you know, change my opinion on these kinds of things a little bit, but I, I, I would, uh, I think this is probably a good time uh, to really just go down the road with the guys <laughs> not counting Fox and Sabonis. I, I mean, I don't know what you'd gain uh, by playing them. Uh, you know, the, it's a tough call because if, if those players actually want to play, it's pretty hard to, I think, and, and right. sends a terrible message if guys say, I want to play, right. you know, yeah. and then you, you, I don't think as a coach or front officer, you ever want to do that. Tell guys, no, you can't play because we're going to, we're trying to lose. Uh, I, I think that's a message you never want to want to allow for un, under any circumstances. But I, I don't. I like what they're. I kind of like what they're doing because really, not just with Davion, and he's the most important part you're looking at. Uh, certainly, with Dante's getting extended minutes, and and, and that's good. And I, and and Trey Lyles, I, I tell you, I uh, I'm, I'm really liking you know what you see there. I mean, I. I know he doesn't have the athleticism of of, uh, of uh, me too, Metu, but but uh, he's pretty solid, you know. I mean, he just he's kind of a bigger version of Harrison Barnes, <laughs> you know. Uh, I mean, not as talented, but he he kind of plays within himself pretty well, uh, and on a team that probably needs that. So I like getting seeing him in extended minutes, and and with Metu as well, and Damian Jones. I just wish quite. Uh, Nemius, Nemias, or, you know, would get to play some. I think, you know, Alex Lynn, we know Alex Lynn's an NBA backup player. I mean, he's proven that. And I'd like to see if uh, Quaita uh, could be that as well. We just, we think he could, but we don't know. And that's what, so that's kind of the last thing to find out. I, I mean, there's no reason to certainly rush Fox or Sabonis back if they're not 100% healthy. And even if they were, I don't know. There's only seven games left. I'm fine seeing the guys we've seen so far. The only thing I would say against that, I guess, is that this is part of why it was a little bit frustrating for me anyways, to see when Fox and Sabonis were healthy for the last, you know, month plus since the deadline, 
we had to see, um, you know, someone like Justin Holiday in the starting lineup, where to me it would have been valuable minutes just to see what Fox and Mitchell looked like in a starting backcourt together. Now it's almost too late. We've got seven games, whatever. But there was, you know, a month and a half of competitive basketball where the Kings could have given this a look and they didn't. So we're going to go into next season with a little bit more questions there than I think maybe we could have had if they had prioritized getting Fox and Mitchell minutes together in the backcourt at the end of this season with Sabonis when the games, you know, didn't really matter. So you could you can play around with it and see how they look together. Jerry, as a, as, a, as a former GM, is there any fear that you come into this offseason just as kind of Tony stated where you haven't really given the Fox, uh, the Fox Mitchell backcourt a chance and that uh, that there's a repeat almost of the Halliburton stuff where Fox and, and, and Mitchell now have to share the ball and, and Fox kind of starts off the year in a slump and then all of a sudden you're getting a call at 4 a.m. and hey, buddy, you've been fired and it's two weeks into the season. I think you, there is some concern there because I'm like Tony. I as a certainly been on record saying this I just don't see the reason for playing holiday I mean obviously he's a NBA player and a good person and and not a negative thing you can say about his effort and all that but there's no future there you know he and Harkless guys like that so it would have been so much easier just to see you know have some idea a little better idea and then you know of the fit uh and and I think it's one of those things like you say without seeing them together a great deal at the start of next year, you know, you might have to go through uh, some growing pains and see, you know, maybe it would be seamless. I, I do think it could be, uh, but uh, you know, it's just a wasted opportunity, I guess there just a wasted opportunity. And uh, that part frustrates probably me as, as much as about uh, anything uh, to me, it was cl- clear that you didn't need to be doing that. <laughs> uh, so, so what is it that you want to see in the last two weeks of this season from the Sacramento Kings? What, what is it that you want to see the Kings prioritize outside of just this, but just in general, where do you want to see the Kings focusing on the court, off the court in these last two weeks of, of, of the season? Well, I mean, I, I do think that, uh, you know, with Davion and Dante, they're, they're extremely important. Make sure they're getting their minutes and, and, uh, and really the, kind of a really encourage uh, Davion to be more of a leader as the lead guard. I think that uh, still, you know, doesn't mean that uh, I think scoring wise, that's never going to be the key thing there for him, but just as the leader uh, it's, he's, he's starting to show some of that, which honestly, I, I don't think uh, De'Aaron has ever quite been that guy, but I think Davion has in college as, as well. And, and I think that that would be very important. And then, you know, here again, continue your 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 look at these, especially the power forward positions. Is you're probably looking to establish who could be a good backup there, because you still probably need somebody, in my opinion, clearly better. But uh, finding the guy you could count on the most, because I I've always said uh, the NBA isn't about perfection; it's about consistency. And uh, and what they need is some guys they could count on, provide consistent, productive play. Tony, what about you as a, as a fan? What are we uh, what are we looking for here in the last two weeks from the Kings? I'll say the the number one thing, and Jerry kind of touched on it, that would make me watch these next seven games is big minutes for Nehemiah Cato. It's just a guy we haven't seen, an interesting guy we've talked about. We've seen the Stockton King highlights. We know he's this weirdly unique player where he's like a big lumbering center, but he can also pass the ball really well, and he's 
in theory, like a, a nice defensive presence in the paint. So seeing that guy get heavy minutes would be number one on my list of like exciting things that would get you to watch seven games for a, a team that isn't in the playoff hunt anymore. Um, but there are other players this seat who are still playing that are healthy that can build something to next year. Still, I think Damian Jones is a good one. I know he kind of stands in the way of Emias Cade in some ways, but Jones is a pretty good player, I think. And if he's the backup center next year, I think you're in a pretty okay spot. He's a free agent. So there's still opportunity here for, for him to maybe prove what he can do in heavy minutes. And he's, he's done well, I thought, in his two games as a starter. Um, and then continuing to see Mitchell and Dante DiVincenzo, who are, are two, uh, I think, in all likelihood, big pieces for the Kings backcourt next year. So if they, you know, continue playing well and playing together, that's, that's a great outcome too, but it's really about uh, Kata to me. If I had to put one thing I'm, I'm watching and excited about. Sure. Uh, as somebody who's singularly focused on the Kings losing as many games as possible and have been for the <laughs> last three years, just laser focused on it. I, I think, I think I would be remiss without saying that I really want to see some of these young guys play right off the bat. I want to see a, a lineup of Davion Mitchell and Dante DiVincenzo and and Josh Jackson, who really hasn't gotten the minutes I thought that he that he probably should have gotten already. Trey Lyles and the Nemius Cata. Run seven games of those just to see what everybody's got. You can bring you can bring Jones in if you want to take you know Cata slowly off the bench if you want to, whatever. Just just stick where you are in the in the standings in the in the lottery odds. And again, nobody has to explain. I, I see this a lot, but well, you know that the Toronto Raptors they jumped, and so you don't have to be in the we hear that every single year, you know, the lottery odds are, you know, I want the best odds possible for a draft pick at the end of the season. And that would involve losing a few more games, get, get your reps for the young guys or the guys that you think you want to bring back in the off season, but you're not quite sure. Be okay with losing some games. And then if you have to just, just, just lie, just, just, Hey, Sabonis, you, you've got your kid on, you know, you got a brand new child. Your knee injury is bad enough. You know, I'm sure you could convince him pretty easily. Fox, oh, we found something on your x-rays. It looks like a smudge. It looks like a, I know it looks like a Sharpie marker got scribbled onto your wrist, but that's actually a broken bone. You should probably just rest and, and, and then I'll be happy. Don't, don't give up. Don't all of a sudden be the eighth, eighth in the lottery standings. Don't all of a sudden go on this long win streak that convinces us to bring back, you know, a Justin holiday for another run. Just, just, just do the smart thing. Let the young guys play it out and uh, and lose the rest of the season. You know, I, I do like your idea of, of starting Nemias because with uh, with uh, Damian Jones, I mean, he's going to be a backup anyway. So yeah, you know, you know, put, put, you know, just go ahead and play him that way, and then you get a better idea of Nemias. Uh, so I, I, I kind of like that. And of course, I have said I'd like to see Josh Jackson play, and and certainly. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I'm fully recognize that the odds are it'll it'll go nowhere, yeah. but uh, but why not find out? This was guy that that was like some of the guys that in the draft that we're all decided are sure things. You know that uh, he's proof that they aren't. <laughs> but uh, but there's a reason. There's a reason he was taken fourth, and had he not been taken fourth, he'd have been taken fifth, sixth, or seventh. That's for sure. Yeah. And, and his athleticism is is uh, spectacular uh, you know, on a team that doesn't have that. So, I, you know, it, and he knows it's his last probably is about his last roundup. So uh, be good to see how he handles it. To your point, Will, do you know who the coldest team in basketball is right now? Who is it? 
the Oklahoma City Thunder. That's right, baby. <laughs> who are one and nine in their last 10 games. And if you remember, the Thunder and the Kings were pretty close in the standings yes. all season long. Get to the end when the tank comes around. Yeah. And Oklahoma City is only one win behind <laughs> Orlando, Houston, Detroit for landing the number one overall pick. So when we look back, you know, in a couple of years, then Oklahoma City is great. And you wonder, how'd they get all these top picks? How'd they get all these, you know, top three prospects or whatever? It's because they keep doing this at the end of the season, even though they might tease that they're better than they are. So there's a team that is is not doing what the Kings are doing, where they're, you know, trying to win as many games as possible in the stretch. They are, uh, they're packing it in and they're going for draft position. So, um, and it, even though the lottery odds are flat, there is about a 5% difference every time you leap somebody Drop, in standing. Yeah. So these games do matter at the at, when it comes to, you know, lottery night. Yeah, the, uh, the thing, too, with Oklahoma City Thunder, I was reading on Hoops app this morning, you know, they're already basically shutting down Giddy and basically looking for a reason to shut down Gilgis <laughs> Alexander. It's like, it's like, bring up your G League team and make it official. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I will say one thing about Oklahoma, because I'm a big fan of Presti and, 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 and all that, but but I think they're this is about the last time they're going to be able to do this. I can I tell so, you yeah. because that, that, sh that ship is uh, run dry. And, and I mean, they, they better, they better put out a product that somebody wants to see next year or they're, they're, it's going to get ugly there. I can tell you. <laughs> well, uh, I, I will say that, that no one is out hustling Sam Presti for these picks. Sam Presti, if he's a basketball player, is the guy that runs through the floor that he just dives through an open brick wall just 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 to get one extra pick. And so I, I will always appreciate Sam Presti for for just going the extra mile to make sure that his team like, to me, it feels a lot like uh, what the Kings are doing is honorable. They play their players and it's a lot like revolutionary war tactics where they're just the British and they're marching in a straight line and they have a little drummer saying how good they are for for trying their hardest. And, and the Oklahoma City Thunder, they're sitting in the tree shooting at the line of, of red coats that the Kings are just walking up on. And, and I, I, it's an unbelievable hustle. And I, and I, and I, I just, I could, I could talk for hours about Sam Presti being the absolute man when it comes to getting his team where uh, he, he, I legitimately think he would take an ice pick to the back of somebody's leg if it meant he could, if he could get, you know, five more percent you know, just, just that much closer to a number one pick. So, yeah, but I, I would warn Sam Prep. <laughs> I'll say this. Yeah. They might, they are just like you say in the analogy, yeah. they're picking off the British coming down the road, but uh, there may be a group of native Americans ready to pick them off. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, if this thing, I mean, you know, it could be a little bit like Danny Ainge, you know, there's a point when you get so many draft picks, they're yeah. very little value to you. They, sure. they, and, and so like I can say, I think that, I mean, I, I have faith that he'll he'll do the right thing because mm -hmm. but but I think I think he's uh, he's towing that line. well he's towing that line and and yep. I and, and not many guys could pull it off but he probably can <laughs> and we'll be sick to our stomachs when he does too <laughs> I'll be sick either way you know <laughs> when he pulls it off I'm going to be really upset and when he doesn't pull it off I'll also be very upset so <laughs> so this is what happens when you love a team that's really really bad. Um, I want to get into a little bit uh, specifically only because this is a game of some sentimental importance to, to Kings fans. I want to get into the Indiana game for a second. Uh, obviously uh, the Kings went out to Indiana. We saw uh, Tyrese Halberton and, and Buddy Heald. Um, Hallie wound up with uh, 13 points, uh, 15 assists, but he shot only four, 14. Um, Buddy had a 25 point outing, which was the most predictable thing possible. You knew he was going to gun for 50 if he could. He shot five of eight from three. 
had four steals, seven assists, but also some like late game turnovers that really cost the uh, the Pacers the game. Mm-hmm. I want to know what your guys' opinions are on this game, and uh, w- yeah, not necessarily whether or not it mattered, but like your feelings personally towards seeing the old guns and 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 uh, something along those lines about you know what you saw from them on, on the Pacers team rather than on the Kings. Well, I mean, I, I think you know with both Hallie and and Buddy. It just, you know, it's a case of uh, they are who we thought they were. I mean, uh, certainly Halliburton did a m- marvelous job uh, assisting, you know, found open shooters. And uh, it's also true, uh, in my mind, uh, Davion Mitchell got into him big time and made it made it really tough on him both ends because uh, Hallie couldn't stay in front of him and he could stay in front of Hallie. Uh, but that's a fact. <laughs> but uh, and then Buddy is Buddy. I mean, uh, you know, uh, anytime you think Buddy is going to make good decisions with the ball, uh, dribbling, uh, don't be surprised if it ends badly. Uh, Kings, <laughs> Kings fans knew that. I think they, I always say, Dave Yeager figured that out quick. And uh, that's why Buddy was as good as he was. And, yeah. and, and I suspect Rick Carlisle will figure it out. I think right now he's probably figured it out. He don't care. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, Buddy, buddy Buckets can become Buddy Chuckets, as we all know. And, uh, but I, I think all in all, I, I suspect it'll still work out for him, but it worked out for the Kings this particular game. Tony, yeah. what about you? It was great to see Davion in, in his last two games, really, because he bothered Cole Anthony a ton last yeah. night. But to see him bother Tyrese Halliburton, bother Cole Anthony, and disrupt offenses, that's exactly why you draft him. So that's obviously great in those two games. But the Buddy Heald thing, I thought it was – you know. I, Play, teams don't tank players don't tank um but to see the pacers give buddy healed the ball in the backcourt at the end of a game <laughs> and trey lyles who we just talked about how unathletic he is it's like the trey lyles pressure was enough to get buddy yeah. to fumble the ball out of bounds yeah. of all players i mean <laughs> trey lyles is the one doing the press and that's enough to disrupt buddy's ball and so i was like huh like i know the pacers aren't tanking uh, on purpose or whatever but if you were gonna fake tank I would give the ball to Buddy Heald in the backcourt at the end of a basketball game. Um, so I thought it was a funny, what a fitting end to that game. I thought it was to see Buddy like throw the ball away and, and the Kings end up winning on a Damian Jones putback. So it was, I don't know, it was entertaining, I guess, for an end of season basketball game. You know, one thing about the Pacers too is that, uh, you know, do you really think Malcolm Brogdon can't play? Do you really, yeah. do, yes. do you really think Miles Turner yes. is, is got such a serious injury he can't play? And so, really, the Pacers are—you know—they are tanking. Uh, <laughs> uh, they are clearly tanking. They're just not—you know—not doing it. The guys on the floor certainly aren't, yeah, but the ones that sure. are. But uh, you know, Duarte. I mean, they're—they're they're making every effort to, to put as uh, as untalented team on the floor as they can. Uh, I was just going to push back on that too, Jerry. Just just for a second to say, Tony, if, if you don't think that it was taking a dive to give Buddy Hield the ball in that situation. It felt very much like, like Rick, Kyle, Rick Carlisle got the call, you know, ring, ring, hey, put, mm-hmm. give it to him. And he knew right away. He was going down in the fifth round by, by knockout, and, and, and they just let it happen. You know, well, it's just – if Buddy can make something happen, okay, so what? But otherwise, I, I felt very strongly that in, that in that particular instance, I went, oh, they, they, want, that, they want that number six overall. So – Okay, uh, we're going to move to a little bit. I just wanted to get your opinions on that one only because those are uh, two old friends of the Kings. And so uh, 
we needed to talk shit about buddy for just a second <laughs> um so uh so i'm sure you guys all have uh, march madness uh, to talk about in our uh, anything but king segment which is now what i've decided we're going to call it but uh I, i've got to ask each of you your impressions um uh, just in general on on potential kings prospects and how they've played in the ncaa tournament so far well i probably have followed it uh, less than most of the king's herald uh, people uh, certainly less than you two guys i mean i've uh, followed and have some minor opinions of a few players you know i mean obviously uh, just briefly looking at guys who kings might be looking at you know like i mentioned earlier i love king and king and murray uh you know the griffin kid looks like he could be a, a nice prospect i wish he was quicker but he, he certainly could shoot the ball and it's tough-minded kid so you you like that uh, uh matherin uh super athletic a very impressive athlete uh, for, for arizona and whether you know it's like with with all of them i i think there's things that concern me uh, i can see where they could really make it and 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 also i could see how they could miss <laughs> you know, I mean, it's kind of like a Jalen Suggs thing, you know, you, 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 you can really get impressed and then, you know, he's got to the league and he can't shoot well enough. Uh, that doesn't mean it'll always be that way, but, it, but it's that way right now. And, and that's what's going to happen with, with uh, some of these guys. But those, I mean, those are guys that you feel like, uh, you know, the Kings are looking at that would be, would be a reasonable, uh, reasonable picks for sure not a not a huge fan of ivy of purdue i think he just duplicates uh, uh, to some degree and, and and actually doesn't duplicate but he's 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 just exactly probably what the kings don't need uh, even though he's probably going to be pretty good yeah i would say um coming up of last episode where i talked about keegan murray and was so in love with that iowa team and then to have them get eliminated in the first day of the tournament uh so i i have no qualifications to speak on these guys either even though i still like keegan murray it wasn't his fault they lost but it was just funny how we get on here and hype a guy up and he doesn't even make it through the first round of the tournament so uh grains of salt with whatever i'm about to say but i thought uh mathurin and banchero were the two winners i guess if you're talking about guys in the king's range um Banchero is a player that I hadn't watched a ton of. I don't particularly like Duke and Duke big men scare me now. I'm a little bit afraid of drafting those guys, <laughs> but for a guy who I thought was maybe fourth among the top four, uh, like consensus top four in this draft, I thought he's been the most impressive out of any of the guys that are in the top, top half of this draft. So that's been good to see adding another elite option, depending on how much stock you want to put into the draft. And I know others who are way more into this stuff have been high on Benchero all year. So I'm not saying anything new, but just for me, it was nice to see him and Mathurin enter the conversation a little bit more or pique my interest more than maybe they had before, where now I think the, the, length uh, of the list of players that the, I would be excited about the Kings getting here on draft night is growing, which is a good thing. Cause I'm also not concerned about guys like Chet um, or Keegan Murray, who, who got eliminated from the tournament maybe earlier than they should have. I'd gladly take the guys they already liked. And I guess we're adding to the list of, of guys that I like heading into the draft. So it's been a fun tournament. Um, and I, I think, you know, no one's hurt their stock too much. And I think guys like uh, Mathurin especially has risen his stock to me. Yeah, you know, the other thing on that stuff is, you know, with the NCAA tournament, I mean, sometimes we forget it's not a best of seven, it's one and done. Yeah. And uh, uh, so the best team doesn't always win. It's a, maybe the luckiest team or the uh, best prepared or something like that. I mean, it's like Auburn looked awful. 
and yeah. Jabari Smith didn't do squat. Uh, you know, and Holmgren certainly proved that the, the there's a lot of risks there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, it, you know, I, I was said. I mean, LeBron is not in this draft. Uh, so you know, you know, they're clearly a kind of a top tier group, but then, but there's a questions about each one of them differently and and i think that's kind of what's been shown and and the other part is that the college game is just so different you know with the not just the one and dones anymore because that's you know decimated the talent for sure but the transfer portal uh what you have is just no super teams you know you just have a bunch of really good teams and uh I think this year there's probably 30 teams that if you played the tournament over, you could maybe have 30 different champions. Uh, yeah. Just a, it's kind of the luck of the draw kind of thing, but uh, it still makes it exciting. And that's why the NBA, I'm off target here, but needs to go to best of three in the first round instead of the stupid best of seven. Uh, you know, get, get some excitement back in the playoffs if you're going to have them. I love that. Also, I think it's like, I don't know who's going number one, which is not always the case at this stage of a college season. I don't, I mean, maybe you guys have a better sense of who's going first overall, but I don't, I I mean, it seems like the mock drafts haven't landed on consensus, which makes it exciting heading into this, you know, end of the year pre-draft season when you don't, when it's not so predictable what that top three is going to look like exactly. Well, I sure don't. (laughs) Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I sure don't. (laughs) No, I was just going to say, yeah, I think that that makes it an exciting point that like, you know, you got guys, you got teams like Orlando where Orlando's just long, you know, outside of Cole Anthony, everybody else is just stretch Armstrong. And so like, it's interesting, even from the perspective of like playing in your mind, who would, who would each team pick if they had the number one pick? Because I don't think, I think you could have four different teams with four different number one picks, depending on, on who was the team that got that number one or that number two and whatnot. So I, overall, like, I think every prospect that, you know, the same concerns that we had going into the tournament, we leave the tournament with the same thing. You know, Chet, Chet's one of those guys that uh, I would love to have on the Kings, but seeing the Kings kind of playoff window now being like two and a half years or now basically two years, he might be somebody that takes three years before he, he gets as good as what we think he is or five years even to get as good as where we hope he's going to be. And I don't know if Monty McNair has that time. So it might be one of those things that if the Kings got a number one pick or a number two pick and he was available, they might pass on him because they need a guy that can that can put points on the board or put stats in the box right now to get to get the Kings where they need to be. So Demonis Simonis doesn't leave or De'Aaron Fox doesn't demand a trade. So I, I you know I, I'm I'm I'd be happy anywhere from one to four. You know, last year I kind of said the same thing where we were. It's like oh I'd love to have Shangun or Moody. I'd be happy with with. With pretty much anyone, even Franz Wagner, who I was really low on, I was like, oh, no, I'd be, you know, whatever, I'd be fine with it. And of course, then the Kings picked Davion Mitchell, which, which was kind of a, a, not shocking, but it was kind of one of those things that it opened my eyes, like, whoa, what the heck was that all about? Which, you know, as Jerry pointed to earlier, it, it's turned out okay, you know, or it looks like it's going to, to turn out just fine. I'm in that same mindset now where it's like, even, even somebody like, uh, like Ivy, I could see why they would pick Ivy. I could see why the Kings would want to go for a guy in the backcourt with with fox like that might relegate mitchell down a little bit to where he's always going to be a super sub or or a trade piece for later as we know monty is is fine with but uh i'm at peace right now i'm i'm at peace with where the kings are until they drop one more position and then i'm going to be raging mad about it but but for now if the kings can get somewhere one through five or six i'll be pretty much happy with anyone that they can grab 
I do think, you know, with uh, Holmgren, I, I, I've watched him a lot and I, I really like his skill sets, you know, and, and you are have to be concerned about his body yeah. a little bit. I, I do see some Pau Gasol in there. And, uh, you know, he's just physically not quite the same place, uh, you know, if he came to the league now as Powell did. But, uh, uh, you know, so I think he, you know, it'd be hard not to, you know, if you're Orlando, I think it'd be hard not to take him. And uh, now that might make your your yeah. man Mo Bamba available, a will. And, there you and, go, Jerry. There and, you go, Jerry. and I, I really, honestly, <laughs> I, I, was, I was thinking last night, I said, I almost uh, – got depressed i was agreeing with you a little bit i said you know he'd be a nice fit with sabonis because i mean <laughs> i mean he can, he, he can protect the basket and he can shoot threes that's really all he can do he, he ain't worth a damn on the basket until <laughs> the post game but but you wouldn't even want him there <laughs> so you know, uh, yeah. you know jerry if i <laughs> i could retire today because I've gotten you to agree that, you know, maybe maybe tanking down the stretch isn't such a bad idea. And Mo Bamba is a decent prospect for the Kings all in the same episode. It's not well, going to get much higher to me, me but I'm uh, starting to starting to agree with you more all the time. Uh, <laughs> you know what? Uh, uh, and one thing I see in, in Chet Holmgren that uh, that reminds me of Pau Gasol is they both need to grow beards. Pau Gasol looked like a goofball until he grew a beard. Chet Holmgren, this is my this is my deep analysis for the day. Really, really, really needs to grow a beard. I don't know if he can or not, but fill out that face, buddy. Oh, you, look, you, you need that beard. That, that would be intimidating. Okay. Nice. So let's, uh, let's go on to uh, something a little bit more personal. Um, this last weekend, we got to say goodbye to Arco Arena. And Jerry, I wanted your opinion on this. And, and Tony, I'm going to get you in on this too. But, uh, you know, uh, as a fan, I got to tour the old barn one last time. We got to take pictures at center court, uh, write farewells uh, with Chalk. Uh, on the cement inside the building and say goodbye. Uh, they also handed out uh, merch to some to some lucky fans. Um, I, I wanted each of your uh, favorite memory of Arco Arena. Uh, Tony, I, I don't think you've ever been there, right? But but I'm sure you have memories that I, I will allow you to. You'll Jerry's been there a lot. I've been there a little. You've been there none at all. So we'll get the full spectrum of our favorite memories of Arco there Arena. So Jerry, why don't you go first? Well, it would uh, surprise people, but I think if you really get down to, to favorite memories, uh, it, it probably just comes as simple as I know the first time that I walked into the building and saw, you know, that I had an office, an actual office by myself, because over in the little building, uh, me and Bill Russell were together. And that was a really was not a very workable thing because I was about to go my death with his cackle. And uh, <laughs> it just, I mean, I love Bill, but he was killing me. And uh, so we, so I had a, you know, just to see a real nice office with a good view. And certainly a Bill was right. His office was right next to, to mine, but that was a, yeah, really, really meant a lot. It really meant a lot, you know, I mean, cause that's where you work. That's where you spend a lot of time. And I know it's different than seeing a ball game and certainly more, but, but memory, that's a great memory for me. I'm sure. Tony, what about you? Yeah, so I've never been inside Arco, but I did come to Sacramento one time for the opening of Golden One Center. It was the first game in Golden One Center. I believe they played the Spurs. Um, And I went to Arco just to go into the parking lot and see it because I I mean, I was a Kings fan my whole life. I wanted to at least see the building, even though they weren't playing there anymore. So I got to I was at the six. Um, you know, and it was for me though, my memories of Arco is just the mystique of it being so far away. Like you would 
because I grew up, I became a Kings fan when they were very, very good. And the, how loud that place was, the fans, the Arco Thunder, that people would call it. That was all real to me, especially growing up as a kid. It was like, man, this place looks crazy. These fans are crazy. It's so loud in here. It was part of what drew me to being a fan of the team. And even the name, like Arco, is a, it's an oil company, right? It's like a gas company, right? So who, whatever, it doesn't really mean anything. But the, even just the name, Arco Arena, like it meant something to me. Um, and I, you know, I, it would be nice if it was still called that just because it was such a familiar, everything about it was so familiar and, and nostalgic, especially looking back now because I haven't been playing there for so long. So um, it played some role in why I'm here, why I'm a Kings fan, just everything that that building was. Yeah, mine was, um, it was, it was right after Vivek took control of the team. And, and actually it, it was, uh, I think it was George Carl's first game. It might've been George, one of George Carl's first games or one of maybe his first home game. But uh, uh, this was kind of a weird one, but DeMarcus Cousins, I have a very distinct memory of DeMarcus Cousins dunking all over Jay Crowder. Uh, it was a Celtics game. And, and that was, uh, it was, you know, it was one of the highlights of the seasons for the Kings of him running all the way down the floor. And, and, uh, and it was, it was, but it was one of those things that like uh, is an indelible moment in my mind, because when I got home that day, uh, my mom called and she went, Oh, Hey, you know, Oh, I saw DeMarcus's dunk. And, Oh, I bet, you know, I bet the arena went crazy and we all did. And it was, it was one of those moments where for a moment there in time, it was like, Oh, the Kings are, they're happening. You know, George Carl is going to bring the Kings back. And it was just another false start, but we didn't know it at the time. Uh, but I remember going, yeah, 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 mom, mom. Yeah, no, that's, that's, uh, that's all great and all. Yeah. I love that dunk. But, uh, did you know, Jerry Reynolds stepped on my shoe tonight and Jerry, <laughs> you, were, you were up in the stands talking to somebody at the very top concourse. And I was walking by to do something and you were talking and you stepped back and you scuffed my you stuff. You, you scuffed my, my Nikes that I had on. And wow. <laughs> I did that. I did that on purpose. I knew. It I know you. you did. I know you did. <laughs> <laughs> but I have this little mark on my Nikes that I still have somewhere from, from you. You had some really nice dress shoes on. Uh, and, and, nice. uh, and, and that was the thing I wanted. I, I, Mom, I met Jerry Reynolds. Tonight was the night. I finally met Jerry Reynolds. And it was like, Wait. what about that dunk I saw all over sports? And, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that was great, too. But, man, Jerry was so nice, you know. We, we were up close and personal that night. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and all these years later, Jerry, now you're, now you're way down here in the pits with us. So. Well, I'll, I'll scuff your shoes again for you if you want me to. Okay, so uh, but, but before we start moving into our last segments here, uh, Jerry, we, we were all treated to a, to a wonderful surprise the other night in that you were back on the play-by-play uh, -play call. So talk for a second about calling a game that takes place in Orlando from a studio in San Francisco while your partner, Mark Jones, was, uh, uh, was, was, was thousands of miles away. How, how did that go? Take us through the whole process. Yeah, well, it's really an interesting uh, whole scenario. I, I, I just start with, I got a call from John Reinhardt, the president of the Kings, uh, saying they really had a, a problem. You know, uh, Katie uh, had some personal issues with her daughter, uh, health and needed to uh, leave. And, and so they were looking for somebody to work uh, with Mark. And would I, uh, how do I feel about that? And I said, well, I don't like to work, but uh, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> fill, fill me in. <laughs> and, he, and he said, well, we, you know, if you could do a, a, at least a couple of games and said, so we think it's just a couple, but it might be even the full road trip, rest of the road trip. And, and I said, well, I mean, I owe, I mean, I told him, I said, I owe you and I owe the Kings organization and the fans. I, I certainly understand that. And I, so I'll try to help. But I said, he said, would you be willing to 
fly to Orlando today? And I said, no. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I hope that uh, clarifies it. But I said, anything else that could be done, uh, I'm willing to try. And then he said, yeah, we, well, we, we'd already thought of that and then mentioned the, the, the going to the studio and this, that and the other. And, and so, so I said, well, yeah, I'm not scared to try it. If that works, I said, I don't know how it'd be. And I know Mark uh, Jones is a pro's pro, and and so may, you know maybe we can make it work. And and I said, you know certainly at this time of the year, it's not like even if I mess up bad or the broadcast is bad, it's not going to mean a, quite as much as it would right. otherwise. And so uh, you know we got it all worked out. And I, I haven't you know I thought overall uh, I, I wouldn't. I wasn't too pleased with it. I mean, I, because I felt I stepped on Mark's toes several times and because you can't tell when a guy's talking if you're not there <laughs> and, yeah. and when to get, get in there and all, but I got home and looked at it again and I thought actually it went a little better than I thought it did. Uh, so, you know, credit to him primarily, but, uh, you know, I thought under the circumstances uh, it worked out decent. And so I'm, I'm happy that I was able to, to fill in and uh, like I told people at the time I said you know if you're expecting to see a, a pretty face and a, a lovely voice well you're just going to be disappointed because that that's not going to happen <laughs> so move on so uh, I guess that'd be my you know I thought uh, you know hopefully I'll do one more on Monday and hopefully we can do a little better well just personally jerry it was a it was a treat to have you back on it was one of those things that we were watching the game and uh my partner was like wait hold on a second is jerry on tv right now and it was like yeah he's on tv why is he on tv you know and all of a sudden it was like she snapped to attention and she watched that game full she, she was it was wow. no longer on her phone well, she was nice. watching the game she was ready to go wow yeah. wow yeah. That's, that's the power nice. of the jerry reynolds voice well, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I even texted Will. I was like, "Did is Jerry in Orlando?" Because I you couldn't. I mean, for what you guys had to do that far apart, I don't even know. It seems impossible to do that remotely, calling a live game. But I didn't even notice. I, you know, I had to actually text Will and be like, "Oh, did Jerry fly all the way to Orlando for this?" So it was. Yeah, it was just a treat. It was. A, it was a great time. It was a very enjoyable broadcast. You know, the other thing that really was amazed me the the broadcast team uh, Rodas and. And Birdie and Hoodie, they're all in the studio too. You know, they don't travel with the team, so they've been doing that. So that that really made a lot of difference. They're kind of, it's been that way since the pandemic. They haven't been traveling. I didn't realize that, and so uh, and so so anyway, uh, you know, so so basically that 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 helped on my end for sure. Absolutely. Okay. Well, this is the uh, the segment where I give Tony and Jerry to talk about. Any other, they get a chance to talk about any other game, any other team, any other storyline in sports other than the Kings. Uh, don't talk about the Kings. We can go quick here. Jerry, do you have anything for us? Well, the, yeah, I think I want to talk about the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, you know, I've, they've become one of my favorite teams. And, and not just that they got the second best record in the league, uh, which who saw that coming, but they're, I think, 16 and two without John Morant. <laughs> And I certainly think John Morant is worthy of most valuable player status. And yet uh, it's probably a reason he won't get it for sure. Yeah. But, uh, and, and I guess, if, I guess the two, two 
thoughts that come to mind there. Uh, Tyus Jones, who basically is his backup as a starter, is 16 and two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, for, you know, I was thinking, you know, here the New York Knicks are always trying to come up with a way to get some star point guard. Maybe that's the kind of guy you guys ought to get somebody that can lead the team to 16 yeah. and two, yeah. uh, <laughs> rather than somebody that's over the hill and and come damage goods probably possibly. And then, and of course, Taylor Jenkins, I, I think is clearly the coach of the year. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, you know, anybody, I, I know uh, Mark Jones has listened to him and he was talking about Monty Williams. I said, eh, no, no, you can't uh, do that. Monty Williams done a marvelous job, marvelous coach, but uh, everybody, you know, you didn't know that Phoenix would be as good as they are, but you knew they were going to be right at the top, mm-hmm. but, but Memphis and what they've, been through clearly he's the coach of the year Tony what about you yeah I know we touched on the tournament uh regarding like the top 10 prospects but I think the biggest storyline has been St. Peter's I've had a great time watching them and uh I I jinxed Iowa last week when I told people to tune into their game um but we are recording this on a Sunday St. Peter's is up against North Carolina uh today at five in the elite eight which is crazy uh it's just it's crazy that st peter's can make it that far but that's why the tournament's fun so go st peter's i hope they beat uh, north carolina today and the the run continues i hope i didn't just jinx them but that's been <laughs> sort of my my uh guilty pleasure not even guilty pleasure just the thing i've enjoyed watching the most since we last recorded was the st peter's run that's again that's why the tournament's great i think mine is uh i was watching a, i just tuned into a random game it was a uh, celtics jazz and uh, the Celtics just put a whooping on the Jazz, and it's one of those things that the Celtics are are a scary team. I would not want to be playing the Celtics when it came playoff time. They are uh, yeah. defense is by far number one in the league. They, you know, having two scores like uh, Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown. Uh, I was actually at that Kings game that they that they came to uh, to Sacramento, and uh, it was one of those things like, oh yeah, they're legit. You know, that's that's a terrifying team come playoff time, and they've lost like three games since the since the middle of January. And so I'm, I'm, I'm putting, I'm putting some of my, some of my money in, in uh, Celtics uh, final stock right now. And I'm pretty happy about it. Okay. Let's go to our uh, uh, Tony. We're going to you for our Patreon question of the day. Uh, thanks, Will. So every episode of the show, as you know, if you listen to it regularly, we ask um, at least one question from our Kings Herald patrons at patreon.com slash Kings Herald. Uh, you guys submit questions either there on Twitter, on the website, wherever we ask them to Jerry. If it doesn't get asked on the main show, we record a Q and a once a month where we ask all the leftover questions. So keep submitting. If you don't hear it on the episode that you submitted it for, don't worry, we will get to it eventually. But this question uh, I thought was pretty interesting. It comes from Dutch courage on Twitter. And he asks, uh, what does Jerry see as the next new trend in basketball? Is the rise of Cleveland a sign of the return of the big man? Um, so, Jerry, is there anything that you see that could be like the next hot uh, NBA trend that teams are chasing? You know, I, I do. I think that's a great question, by the way, and I, and I do think that there the, the trend is 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 probably moving the direction of basically a little closer to the you know, not just to spread the floor and shoot threes. I think the mid range game, the inside out game probably is coming back uh, to a degree. I always equate things a little bit like football, where the running game is kind of becoming more important again. Uh, you know, not just throwing the ball every possession. Teams that can control uh, 
the you know the the ground game or control the paint as it were is very important and, and I think I think we are I think we'll see that uh, teams that like to uh, be able to you know make sure they're getting good shots every possession you know the not so concerned about the layup or threes uh, uh, basically good quality high percentage shots uh, inside. Uh, inside the paint, still a pretty good strategy. And if you can get big guys who can control the paint, uh, that are athletic, you know, which is a real key, obviously athletic, big guys, which Cleveland's a great example of that uh, probably is a, probably where a lot of, a lot of teams might look, uh, you know, and, and I think we, we've even saw that with, uh, you know, the last year's champions and, and uh, uh that basically they, they, they shoot a lot of threes, but they also really count on getting to the basket and playing, playing inside out a lot in the half court game. Will, how about you? Is there anything that stuck out to you watching this sport that you're like, huh, I wonder if more teams are going to start doing this. Yeah. I, uh, I, I forget the, the GM, uh, the magic. Is it, is it Hammond? Yeah. John Hammond. Hammond. Yeah. Uh, and and how he's kind of a guy who's a uh, uh, big on kind of tall lanky guys, but uh, my 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 personal bias to one is hyper skilled Slenderman. <laughs> like there seems to be every year now, you know, the ability for a big man to play a different type of game is different. Somebody like Alexei Pokashevsky, who I now I get to throw my guy out there, but like uh, uh, Chet Holmgren and uh, next year Victor Wembanyama, like these are guys that are like unconventionally thin, like they like in the nineties, they would not have made it to the NBA because of just how slender and in, in, in frame they are. But these guys are incredibly skilled, you know, blocking shots, able to pass, able to run the fast break at seven feet tall. Um, obviously, uh, Jokic is one of those guys that he's, he's not slim, but he's a hyper-skilled big man. But, um, and I would have even thrown in Giannis his first couple of years as this, as this thin freak of nature with these super long arms that could play point guard while growing towards seven feet tall. But I, I, I love the, the, this era of big men that's coming up that are just different, that are just kind of odd. Even Evan Mobley, I'd kind of just tack him on at the end there because he is, mm-hmm. you know, he, he's not the thickest guy in the world, but he's a good passer. He's like an incredible defender. But I, I, I like that the NBA has made room for these guys like a, a Chet Holmgren or a Pogoshevsky that are just kind of weird. They're just like that tool in, in, in your junk drawer that you're not quite sure what it's for, but it clicks and it looks very, very interesting, and you have no idea if it'll ever be important in your life. But then one day your car breaks down, and you're like, "Oh, I know what that's for." And so, uh, so my my yeah, my trend in the league is uh, more really, really skinny point guards that are over seven feet tall. There you go. To that point, Will, I wish I knew who said this. I don't remember someone tweeted this because there was a lot of anti Chet Holmgren talk uh, yesterday or when Gonzaga got eliminated. I think it was yesterday. Maybe it was the day before, uh, and then someone made a counterpoint that I kind of agreed with where it was like, all right, you're, you're worried about Chet Holmgren getting beaten down in the post. He's not physical. He needs to put on weight. All those things are true. He needs to put on weight, but how many NBA players are there out there that are really going to abuse someone who is that long? Like, yes, he's giving up strength for sure. But you know, JaVale McGee is much bigger than Mm -hmm. Chet Holmgren, but if you're giving the ball to JaVale McGee, that's a win for Chet Holmgren. Um, so like there's a, there's a, there's, it seems like there is a, a small amount of centers that could seriously abuse him in the paint, 
but it's not something to me anyways, where there's all of these huge physical centers that are going to crush you every night. A lot of the time, you know, if the teams go to their center over and over again, it's actually a, a win for, for the defense a lot of the time. So you can, you know, trick yourself into bad matchups that you think are good matchups if you force it too much. And I think Chet Holmgren, that's kind of why I'm not so worried about him. I do think he'll put on some weight. He certainly needs to, but how many teams can, can abuse that length? It seems to me like there's not too many. Well, too, uh, Tony, and I agree with that. I think with the last thought of it for me on that is the same thing I'd said about uh, small guards and being taken advantage of in the post yeah. Go, goes there. Uh, yes, he can be taken advantage of to some degree, but it's also the easiest place to get double team help. Way easier to help a guy in the post than it is out on the wing. Yeah because you really open the floor up. And so uh, I, I'm like, you. I, I wouldn't worry much about that. I mean, I just wouldn't worry about that. And you, and you can, and you can play zone in this league. Now you couldn't years ago, but you can play zone, which, which helps out that way. So, Hey, if you think he's the right guy, uh, I wouldn't worry one minute about that. Great points guys. Jerry, let's, uh, let's roll over to you for the uh, Reynolds wrap up for today. Well, you know, I'm, as you know, a big fan of the King's Herald and, and, and all of you writers, by the way, I think you guys do a, a terrific job. And I think there's a lot that most of us, uh, King Herald uh, fans, as I am, uh, that can learn from, from reading. And I always say, it seems like just my own impression. Now, this is just my impression that a lot of people are commenting on the articles without actually reading them. Uh, and, 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 you know, just because they want to hit the topic, you know, type thing. And this would be my advice. You know, I'm, I always say a, a person that doesn't read is, is basically equal to someone who can't read. Uh, so, so read the damned articles and then you you know see if you see where that goes you'll probably uh, be in better inclined to, to comment <laughs> thank you jerry for that psa i really appreciate it, it makes a bigger difference than you think because people listen to you well i hope <laughs> sometime i'm right yeah. That that is definitely an, an internet problem. Yes, you know, it is. Yes, or reading that does, that's not exclusive to us. That that is the whole. Oh no! Uh, Absolutely. Well, for everyone here, uh, uh, for for Tony and for Jerry and for everybody else at the Kings Herald, I want to thank you for listening to another episode. Um, uh, we will see you in two weeks, uh, the day of the last, uh, the la or the day after the last game of the season. So we'll see you in the postseason, or, or I guess not the postseason. We won't see you in the postseason. We'll see you in the offseason. In the offseason. Uh, we'll, we'll see other teams in the postseason. So for everyone here, thanks, uh, uh, thanks so much, and uh, see you in two weeks. <laughs>